The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with the regional bank reckoning showing no signs of slowing down. Another bank confirms is speaking with potential partners and investors. Also, the 10th time is the charm as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates yet again. But this time, possibly signaling what could be the end of the fastest tightening cycle in decades. We're going to tell you what it means for the economy, the markets, and for investors like you. And it's not just the Fed. Another major central bank is set to release its latest policy decision later this morning. We have a live preview from London in just a moment. Plus, we're turning our attention over to Washington, and it's all about AI. The vice president holds a face-to-face with those at the cutting edge of this new disruptive technology. And then later, can Johnson & Johnson's consumer business spinoff reignite the recent IPO slump? Good question. It is Thursday, May the 4th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. I hope your morning is getting off to a great start. Let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a modestly lower day for stocks yesterday. This morning, you can see we're green across the board, just fractionally higher right now, almost flat, but seeing some positive indicators for the start of this market day. So this is investors continue to digest the Federal Reserve's 10th straight interest rate hike and new comments from from Chairman Jay Powell hinting the current tightening cycle could be nearing its end. With that, let's check on the bond market. Looking at yields, we've seen a slight decline when it comes to yields on the benchmark 10-year. We're seeing it at 3.36, going down just a few basis points from where we were yesterday. A bigger move when it comes to the two-year note, moving down even more. We're looking at it at 3.87. You have to remember, just a few days ago, that yield was above 4%. We're also looking at energy, specifically oil. We're seeing WTI, that's the U.S. benchmark, fall below $70 a barrel. It's up 1% this morning, but you can see it's down to about $69.30. The international benchmark of Brent crude at about $73.30, also up more than a percent this morning. Natural gas basically flat. All right, time now to get to our top story along with the Fed, and that is the state of the U.S. banking sector. This morning, California-based PacWest confirming it is in talks with, quote, several potential partners and investors following reports the bank is exploring strategic options. That includes a potential sale. PacWest adding it has not experienced any, quote, out-of-the-ordinary deposit flows in the past week, and its cash reserves are solid. But despite those efforts to increase confidence, you can see right here, shares are extending their recent drop. This morning down almost 37%. You can see the week-to-date drop of 60%. Sharp move to the downside just yesterday as well. Okay, it's not just PacWest, however. Western Alliance Bank Corp is also really trying to reassure just weary shareholders. That bank releasing a statement also saying it has not experienced any unusual deposit outflows following the sale of First Republic to J.P. Morgan Chase. Still, shares are down this morning. Looking at Western Alliance, shares are down more than 18 percent. Week-to-date loss of 34 percent, almost 35 percent. All right, joining me now is Barron's reporter Brian Swint. Brian, PacWest not seeing anything remotely similar to the deposit outflows like those at First Republic. What do you make of this action that we're seeing at Western Alliance and PacWest? 
Yeah, I mean, it just looks like uh, uh, the market ganging up on whoever they, they feel might be next to be weak. You know, if um, the problems that hit uh, um, First Republic, you know, and, and Silicon Valley Bank before then are something that all regional lenders uh, might have faced, uh, the worry is that, um, you know, it, they could all be running into trouble. Now, uh, PacWest statement suggests that they don't have any fundamental uh, problems right now, but um, you know it's 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 just fear that's that's guiding traders' hands right now. So I, I know you don't have any inside information on this, and I'm sure you're still working on your reporting. But when they both say that they're talking to partners, who could those potential partners be? We saw some hesitancy to take over First Republic, and eventually J.P. Morgan did. But who are potential partners that could possibly create a deal for these two banks? Uh, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I, as you point out, I, I don't know anything uh, for sure. But any any of the of the bigger banks would would be candidates, you know, because they they can put up the capital right away to help if they want. Two regional lenders could merge potentially to say, look, we're this much stronger. We have this much more uh, deposits now, and and then that would create a bigger bank that would be subject to different uh, rules and regulations that might actually instill confidence in, uh, and and how they're managed after that. Um, um, but um, it, it, remains, it remains to be seen. Who, who knows? Could be anyone. Yeah, I want to correct myself. It was just Pac West that said they were looking for potential partners there. So as we go forward and look at the regional banking sector, what do you think the next inflection point is? We have a loan officer survey coming up in just a few days. Is that something that's going to give us more insight about the status of the sector? Uh, it will certainly tell us something about um, uh, how how banks are how much banks are tightening credit uh, to consumers and how you know, how their business models are doing uh, in the face of these uh, new you know higher interest rates that we've had over the past year right so usually higher interest rates should help banks because they can charge more for loans uh, but the problem is uh, that they've had is keeping up with the the value of the assets on their books which tend to go down when when interest rates go up um, so it will help somewhat but I mean I really feel like uh, right now there isn't any particular piece of news that could um, uh, that could help or, or necessarily hurt one way or the other. It just seems to be that uh, that uh, investors and, and traders aren't sure what's going to happen next, and so they're trying to play it safe and stay away from these regional lenders. All right, so right now we're showing a board looking at the year-to-date moves of some of these other regional banks. Are there any others that you are personally watching that you believe could be facing some similar problems or at least a loss of investor confidence like PacWest and Western Alliance appear to be seeing? Yeah, again, I don't know anything particular about the bank's actual balance sheets or what's happening with their deposits other than what, you know, PacWest has told us. But yeah, we look at Western Alliance, we look at Comerica, um, uh, that would be another uh, big regional lender. Um, uh, there's uh, uh, Zinc, I think, is, is another one that, that would be uh, on the list. Uh, you know, there, there's five or six that you could look at that are about the same size uh, that uh, might draw attention uh, from traders over the next few days. All right, Brian Swint from Barron's. Appreciate having you on. Thanks for being here. Very happy right. to be here. Turn our attention back to that Federal Reserve decision to hike rates once again. Bond King Jeff Gunlock says the regional bank crisis will not end unless the Fed cuts rates. The co-founder and CEO of Double Line Capital telling CNBC, despite Jay Powell's belief the crisis has improved, depositors will continue to flee. These people are pulling money out because there's absolutely no reason to keep their money in. You can get higher interest rates by a lot thanks to the Fed's 500 basis point interest rate increases. But it just seems to me that the deposits are going to keep drifting out. And I don't think that this this is the last chapter in this regional banking problem. 
So Gunlock adding that Powell is showing no signs the Fed plans to cut rates in the near term and thus recession odds have increased. Let's bring in Matt Maley, chief market strategist at Miller Tabak. Matt, great to see you. Hi, Frank. How are you? All right. So just heard from Jeffrey Gunlock right there. Um, he had a bit, uh, you know, maybe a contrarian view right there. He doesn't really see any signs that the Fed is, has any immediate plans to cut rates and didn't see a hint of it. However, you believe we just had a hawkish pause. Kind of explain that to me. Well, I just think that, the, you know, the, that they, they said that they're going to keep rates um, <clears throat> uh, higher. I mean, he basically said we don't have any plans for cuts. And, and he talked about how the uh, inflation picture uh, keeps uh, any kind of rate, uh, rate cuts off the table. I do agree with, with Jeff Gunlock that at some point this year, the economy is going to be so bad that they will be forced uh, to cut rates. The problem is, Jeff is also right, in that uh, they're going to stay higher for the next several months. That's going to cause, you know, the, the thing is people, yes, it's going to cause a problem for the banks, uh, for the regional banks, but the net money in all of the banks is going to go down. I mean, yes, all these big banks are, are, are taking in these new new deposits uh, from, from the smaller banks, but in, in net overall, uh, the big banks have that same issue where they can't compete with the money market accounts and T-bill rates. And so those net deposits are going to leave. That's going to mean less money to loan out. Uh, and that's going to mean credit contraction. That's going to mean a slower economy and a recession. All right. Speaking of credit contraction, that's something that Jay Powell mentioned that he and the other members of the FOMC are watching. Just the credit conditions due to this banking crisis. We we're just showing the KRE just a second ago down more than two and a half percent right now in the pre-market. What's your take on the status of regional banks, especially with two more sending out, you know, uh, statements trying to reassure investors as their stocks fall? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. We, we keep hearing all, all this talk, and, and I agree that, that, that we're not uh, in a situation where these, where these uh, regional banks are going to create a major league uh, systemic crisis. Uh, but where it is going to still have an impact, again, is on the economy. Uh, you can't – I mean, when people, some people are saying, well, the, you know, the banks are underperforming, and you know, sometimes the stock market can hold up if the banks underperform. That's fine. But the, the market doesn't hold up when the, when the bank stocks get absolutely crushed. Uh, we have to use some common sense here. What's going on in the banking uh, – sector is going to create a, uh, a, a credit crunch or, you know, a, a, you know, a lot less credit in the system. Uh, that's going to that always means a slower economy. It pretty much always means a recession. Uh, people looking for a soft landing. It's a much harder uh, situation, much harder, much harder argument uh, to uh, uh, put forth when the, when when these you know regional banks continue to have problems. So I, I don't I don't want to you know this is not 2008 all over again, right. which is fine. But that doesn't mean that a stock market that's still quite expensive uh, cannot come down more, or that the economy can slow some more. All right, Matt. I want to look forward just a bit. We got the jobs report on Friday, CPI next week, and of course we have the debt ceiling negotiations. What do you see as the next big inflection point for the markets? Well, I mean, it could, could, could be tonight with Apple, oh, Apple Computer. Uh, they have their uh, earnings report, and we, we saw what happened with Oracle with, with some uh, uh, tough numbers that kind of hinted to maybe uh, a problem there, although there, there's stories now that the Apple's going to you know, increase their, their buyback. But that, that, that could be uh, you know, one, one of the big inflection points. Of course, we got with the employment number on Friday, but then next week, uh, I think it's next week, we had the CPI numbers, et cetera. That, that's going to give us more indication on what the Fed's going to do about keeping the uh, interest rates high. 
what, you know, a, a pause is not enough. As, as Jeff Gonlock said, uh, you know, it, until they actually start cutting rates, uh, we're, we're not going to be able to uh, really get some, some relief on the marketplace. And the problem is, from what everything the Fed's telling us, uh, they're not going to cut rates unless something more breaks in a, in a more substantial fashion or the economy slows in a dramatic way. Neither of those two things are good for the stock market. All right, Matt Malley, we've got to leave it there. Looking ahead to Apple earnings after the bell. We're just looking at Apple. Shares are down more than 1% in the pre-market. Matt Malley, always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. Also, big tech heads to the White House for a face-to-face with Vice President Kamala Harris on the future development and the risk around AI, what investors should be considering ahead of that summit next. And speaking of AI, yet another name that you know is throwing its hat into the ring with AI of its own. And then later, much more on the regional bank reckoning. And if Stephanie Link is holding out any hope for any names in that space, we have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially step up like a boss and save the day or see what life's like under the tree of life did you if you could would you when we come through it's true magic because we came to play bring the magic at walt disney world resort what does it mean to be rich is it having more stories to share or time to give Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Vice President Kamala Harris set to meet with the chief executives of Google, Microsoft, OpenAI, and Anthropic today. They are scheduled to discuss the responsible development of artificial intelligence. VP Harris is expected to address the need for safeguards to mitigate AI's potential risk and to emphasize the importance of ethical innovation through a quote-unquote frank discussion with the CEOs. That's according to the event invitation, which was viewed by CNBC. Let's get more insight into this meeting and what it could mean for AI going forward with Cyrus Mayawala, Global Data Head of Investment Research. Cyrus, good morning. Always great to see you. Hi, Frank. All right. So, Cyrus, we keep hearing about how AI, how AI is going to disrupt so many industries. What does it tell us about the White House's view of the potential disruption of AI for them to have this meeting and be so open about the agenda and really emphasizing the need for safeguards and addressing potential risk? Uh, I, I think big tech, especially in the U.S., has been very lightly regulated, and and for very good reason. The U.S. is in a uh, is in a trade war over tech supremacy with China. The U.S. wants to encourage innovation in tech, and and sometimes hard regulation doesn't do that. But with the advent of these new large language models, generative AI models like ChatGPT that you just announced, Microsoft is, it, it has partnered with. I think AI could be very pervasive. And then the question, therefore, governments have to answer is, is AI safe? 
And remember, there's been a public backlash against light touch regulation in tech in terms of data privacy, obstruction of justice, uh, misinformation, all kinds of things, excessive promotion of pornography or anti-terrorism uh, uh, videos on, uh, you, you know, on, on web platforms. So the government, governments all over the world now are forced to act. And AI, really, the advances in AI are the catalyst because these AI systems could be pervasive and governments need to protect society and make sure big tech acts in society's interests. Yeah, so we're expecting to see more regulation when it comes to AI going forward. This may just be the first step. I want to get to some of your research, actually. According to your research, the total adjustable market for AI will be $1 trillion by 2030. That's just a big number. It's hard to really grasp that. Can you put us in, in context for us? And what industries? Where do you see that disruption happening first? Absolutely. So uh, that is a big number. But to put it in context, it's about a third of the size of the global car industry uh, 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 today. Um, so when you look, when you think of um, artificial intelligence, the buzzword today is generative AI. That's what ChatGPT does and other large language models. And generative AI is all about uh, creating new content. Um, and, and the problem with creating new content, whether it's text or image or video or even software code is, uh, unless you can see the algorithms behind it, you don't know uh, if it's safe. Uh, and of course, uh, it, 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 therefore, it, it could it you could have what you could have enormous amount of misinformation in, in the world if you don't know it's safe. That's just one type uh, of AI, and already it's changing business models. If you look uh, uh, at stock markets yesterday, the edtech sector took a big hit. Companies like Pearson, uh, Chegg, and Duolingo, uh, their share prices collapsed yesterday because of the threat following a profit warning from Chegg. Uh, basically from the threat of these types of generative AI models. But many companies can profit from them. You, for example, Frank, you know, you can cut down the time it takes to, to research your news articles. Uh, filmmakers can cut down the time it takes to, to make films. And, and most importantly, CTOs uh, can get their software engineers to write code uh, much faster. So this, this stuff is going to take off. That's just generative AI. Then there's other types of AI like decision-making AI. If I'm running a factory, um, okay. I can use AI to make decisions and so on. So there are many types of AI. So many applications. This, yeah. many applic I want to ask you one more question, Cyrus. By the way, you didn't mention something else going on here in the U.S. The writer's strike. One of the issues that they're worried yep. about out in Hollywood is AI taking those writing jobs. So yeah. before we let you go, um, is there anything that you think that the U.S. government or other regulators have learned from other emerging techs that we've seen come out, whether it be Bitcoin, the metaverse, that haven't been so much regulated that they want to kind of fix this time around when it comes to AI? I think what the SEC versus Ripple case shows and, and what the whole cryptocurrency lack of regulation shows is that if you don't regulate a technology in time, you can have you can have problems. And in the case of AI, there's all kinds of issues that regulators should address. Is AI responsible? You know, is there any bias in them? Is AI, are AI systems transparent? Do we understand the algorithms, for example, in an autonomous car? It's a matter of life and death. Are there data controls over data security, data privacy, data transferability? Um, are there independent audits? Because politicians don't really understand tech uh, as a whole. So there need to be independent auditors to ensure that, uh, that new laws on AI are followed. And most important of all, you know, does regulation include contestability and redress? In other words, if individuals and entities are wronged by AI systems, okay. they should be able to challenge them. All right. Got to leave the conversation there. Cyrus, looking at AI related stocks this morning up right now. I think you and I just had a frank discussion.
Always great to see you, uh, especially ahead of that meeting at the White House. Thanks a lot. Cyrus Mayor Walla of Global Data. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one big thing to watch when Apple reports after the market closed today, longtime bull Nancy Tangler. She's going to join us with her take on Apple's report. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The $20 billion market for collaboration and messaging software is now becoming the latest battleground for artificial intelligence. Salesforce announcing the launch of Slack GPT today. Take a look at this. This is a company-provided demo of the AI-powered platform. They will discuss much more during an event in New York City. Salesforce says they are building AI natively into Slack, enabling use of its own Einstein GPT, and also enabling third-party platforms like OpenAI. The goal is to use generative AI to increase productivity, summarize conversations, and generate reports and recommendations from prior conversations. I spoke with Chief Marketing Officer Sarah Franklin about the launch and how Salesforce would make Slack GPT enterprise-ready and deal with the accuracy issues and the so-called hallucinations. That's what is so powerful is now generative AI can learn from your trusted company data. And this helps all of us be better at our jobs because the AI is here to help us and not replace us, really making us more productive so that we can have AI that's not going to hallucinate in the enterprise because it's learning from your trusted customer and company data. The company says the goal is also to create sales growth for Slack. Salesforce is currently in fourth place in the collaboration and messaging space with nearly half the share of Microsoft's Teams that also has generative AI functions. Google and Zoom have also made similar announcements about AI capabilities. So about 90% of all U.S. employees are using a collaboration and messaging platform to communicate in the workplace. That's according to estimates from Jefferies. Salesforce says they believe AI can boost revenues at Slack and also sales of its other products, including Tableau and MuleSoft. And I'll be talking exclusively with the new CEO of Slack, Lydiani Jones, at the Salesforce World Tour event in New York City. That's at 10 a.m. Eastern. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, NetWest, Michelle Girard is here with her take on the Fed's 10th straight interest rate hike, odds of a pause, and what the current banking crisis could mean for Powell's policy playbook. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on all the major podcast apps. And there is still time to sign up for today's virtual CNBC Small Business Playbook event with entrepreneurs offering advice on how to help your business succeed. To register, you can just scan this QR code that's on your screen right now, or you can visit events.cinc.com slash small-business-worldwide. It's a little complicated. Use the QR code. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Pivoting to a pause. There's a question mark there. Jay Powell opening the door to the idea following the central bank's latest rate hike as the Fed grapples with growing risk. The regional banking turmoil, one of the top concerns, with PacWest racing to calm investors this morning as that stock continues to plummet, the latest on the options it's weighing in this rapidly developing situation. 
And Cupertino, it steps up to the plate. Apple preparing to roll out its quarterly results and close out the big tech earnings bonanza. It is Thursday, May the 4th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back. I'm Frank Holland. Hope your morning's getting off to a great start. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. We are seeing them green across. Actually, a little bit of a change here for the S&P. I was looking just a minute ago, just moved very fractionally to the downside in just about the last minute. However, the Dow Jones and the Nasdaq both in the green, fractionally higher at this time. We're also keeping a watch on the developing situation around U.S. regional banks. PacWest confirming it's in talks with, quote, several potential partners and investors. Following reports, it is exploring strategic options, including a potential sale. PacWest adding it has not experienced any, quote, out of the ordinary deposit flows in the past week and its cash reserves are solid. However, shares right now falling in the pre-market down 36 percent. We can see year to date down more than 80 percent. We are also watching Western Alliance Bank Corp as well. It's trying to reassure its shareholders, releasing a statement saying it, too, has not experienced any unusual deposit flows. Looking at shares this morning, those shares down more than 17 percent, just slightly better than they were just earlier this morning. However, week to date, down more than 34 percent. All right. Turning attention for the moment to the action overseas and another big central bank with its decision on deck. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is live in our London newsroom with much more. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, yesterday it was all about the Fed. Today it is all about the European Central Bank. And in the lead up to the decision, we've got red across the board. Investors selling European equities. And it's a fairly broad-based and evenly spread pullback. Uh, No major moves lower in terms of the magnitude, but we are trading lower overall. So let's get into it. What can we expect from the central bank today? Well, the ECB announces its latest rate decision at 14.15 CET. That's 8.15 a.m. Eastern time with market watchers split over whether to expect a 25 basis point or 50 basis point rate hike. The majority do expect a smaller hike. Now, in terms of the data, headline inflation in the eurozone rose to 7% in April, despite the central bank hiking rates by half a point at each of its last six meetings. However, core inflation, which is central to the European Central Bank, eased to 5.6%, muddying the outlook for the bloc. And here's a picture for you of yields. We are seeing yields move higher across the board in Europe this morning. The German 10-year trading around 2.67%, and the Italian 10-year, this is a spread we tend to keep an eye on, trading around 4.16%, Frank. It's not just the ECB. Investors also digesting a number of earnings out this morning. What are you looking at on the earnings front? It's a huge day for earnings here in Europe. We've been looking at sectors across the board, but let me zoom in for you on two names in particular, starting with Shell in the energy space. It's trading higher 1.8%, a wide outperformance versus the market. Shell reported a net profit of $9.6 billion in the first quarter, beating expectations. The energy giant kept its dividend unchanged and announced $4 billion in share buybacks. Now, in the beverage space, AB InBev has posted a beat on quarterly earnings, the core profit coming in at $4.76 billion. The world's largest brewer pinned the strong earnings on rising prices, as well as growth in its premium beer and non-alcoholic drinks lineup. And those shares are trading just marginally higher. But again, relative to the broader market, it's outperformance. Yeah, certainly something to watch. I think a lot of people are going to take that volume rebound by AB InBev as a sign of consumer spending continuing to be strong, but certainly something to watch. Juliana Tattlebaum in our London newsroom. Thank you very much. All right, let's get a check on this morning's top corporate story. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, friend. Good Thursday morning to you. Well, Apollo Global Management is reportedly closing in on a deal to buy Arconic for $30 a share 
or roughly $3 billion. Now, according to the Wall Street Journal, the deal could be announced when Arconic reports earnings today, assuming talks don't fall apart at the last minute. The industrial parts maker was spun off from aluminum giant Alcoa back in 2016 and has a debt load of more than $1.5 billion. Johnson & Johnson's consumer business spinoff, Kenview, set to trade on the New York Stock Exchange today in what will be the biggest U.S. IPO since Rivian's back in 2021. Now, ahead of today's opening trade, Kenview priced at $22 a share, giving it a value of $41 billion, just above middle of the expected range. And France's antitrust agency is giving Meta two months to change its access criteria for ad verification partners, saying the company was possibly taking unfair advantage of its dominant market position in online ads. The French Competition Authority says Meta's invitation-only approach allowed data access to only the biggest operators and could be considered discriminatory. And frank verification companies measure ad viewership and detecting fraudulent online traffic among other things. Yeah, more regulation in tech. It seems to be a theme this morning. It really does. <laughs> All right, Savannah, we'll see you later on the show. All right. Turn our attention back to the big story this morning. The Federal Reserve yesterday approving its 10th straight interest rate hike in just over a year. The unanimous decision, which was widely expected by investors, raises key rates by 25 basis points and marks what has become the Fed's most aggressive tightening cycle since the 1980s. Chairman Jay Powell, however, striking a different tone when it comes to future interest rate hikes, hinting that the current cycle may be coming to an end. People did talk about pausing, but not so much at this meeting. You know, that we're, I mean, there's, there's a sense that we're, we're, that, you know, we're much closer to the end of this than to the beginning, that, you know, as I mentioned, if you, if you add up all the tightening that's going on through various channels, it's, we, we feel like we, you know, we're getting close or, or maybe even there. So addressing issues around the U.S. banking system, Powell adding it remains sound and resilient with the committee monitoring the situations in the sector. Joining me now is Michelle Gerard, head of the U.S. at NatWest Markets. Michelle, always great to see you. Good morning. Hey, Frank. Good morning. All right. So just kind of read the tea leaves on this with me. Like uh, we had another guest on. We were kind of trying to figure out, is there definitely a hint of a pause there? I mean, he said we're getting closer, but then Jay Powell also said they're data dependent and then flat out said no decision on a pause was made today. So a lot of what I thought were mixed signals. Well, I think they were trying to be very clear that there's no longer any predisposition that more rate hikes are needed. And that was most clear in the change in the forward guidance in the statement where they went from saying that, you know, they anticipated that additional rate hikes would be necessary to sort of suggesting they would be looking at a bunch of data to determine whether or not additional rate hikes would be necessary. And, and, and Paul pointed to that change in the press conference, calling it really significant. So I think they're trying to say now what we do going forward, it's going to be completely dependent on how the data play out. I think, and our view really is that the data are going to suggest that the Fed has done enough for now. And we do think that's the last rate height of the cycle. All right. So Jay Powell made it clear there's still data dependence. We have the jobs report coming up on Friday. We got another inflation report coming up next week. And then we still have the debt ceiling to deal with. I asked another guest, what's the biggest uh, inflection point for the markets potentially? He thought it might be Apple earnings. But out of those three, those economic different things, um, what do you see as being the biggest? Well, you know, I do think that the inflation data have been really important here because 
in the face of weaker economic data that I do expect we're going to start to see, it's going to be those inflation numbers that give the Fed or, or determine whether or not the Fed has the room to react to the weaker numbers. If we get weak economic data, if we get weak earnings, if we get, you know, trouble with the debt ceiling, the Fed's ability to respond to all of that by moving policy to a less restrictive stance is, is going to be determined by how high the inflation numbers are. So ultimately for the markets, that's, the I think, the real key in terms of determining whether or not we will get rate cuts before the end of the year. Our forecast actually thinks that the inflation rate now we, we do think will come down enough to give the Fed room to do so. Uh, but but I think the inflation, you know, the inflation numbers are going to be key in terms of the market's expectation of how much the Fed can or cannot react to any of the other bad news. Yeah. So, I mean, Jay Powell really emphasized that inflation is coming down, but not quite fast enough for the Fed, at least not yet. So I want to turn your attention to one other thing, the banking crisis. We're seeing two regional banks Falling pretty hard in the pre-market, PacWest and Western Alliance. How big of a factor is the banking crisis, not only for the Fed, but for the broader economy? Because on Monday, when J.P. Morgan bought First Republic, I think a lot of people felt like this was settled, at least in the near term. Mm. You know, our view really is that the, the banking story is going to continue to be pretty, you know, volatile in the sense that, you know, we're not sure all the news is out or that that's something that, as you said, on Monday, when everybody felt better, you know, our view was like, we're not clear, you know, it's not clear that this is over yet. And in terms of the macroeconomic uh, implications, you know, our view is really that this is going to contribute to a pretty significant credit crunch. And, you know, we had been expecting that the economy would slow and dip into a recession in the you know, second half of this year. All of this, all of these developments, and particularly the fact that they are even more likely to, to lead to sharper credit, you know, credit tightening than we had anticipated. That's going to be a very significant headwind, we believe, for the economy. And so, you know, from our standpoint, it only makes us feel, unfortunately, more sure about the economy, you know, underperforming, slipping into recession. And it does also make us feel more confident that inflation can get lower faster amidst this weaker economic backdrop. And again, as a result, we, we now actually think the Fed can cut rates before the end of the year, whereas before we didn't, we really pushed back against market expectations of expecting something before uh, 2024. Well, wait one second, Michelle. Could or do you actually think they will cut rates before no, the end of the year? we do have a, yes, it's in our forecast that the Fed cuts interest rates um, in the fourth quarter of this year. Again, just trying to move policy back closer to neutral from a very restrictive stance, uh, it, you know, beginning that journey. We've got inflation coming down to just over two and a half percent by the end of the year. And so, okay. you know, against that backdrop, I, I think the Fed would have room to move. All right. A lot to watch there. Michelle Girard of NatWest. Always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the setup for Apple earnings. We have Nancy Tangler here to break it all down including what to watch and whether the results will take a bite out of big tech's performance this quarter. Ahead of Berkshire Hathaway's earnings and annual shareholder meeting this weekend, CNBC Pro Talks is holding a special sit-down live from Omaha. Tomorrow at 1130 a.m. Eastern, our own Mike Santoli speaks with Thomas Russo of Gardner, Russo & Quinn that counts the conglomerate as its biggest holding you can sign up for the event at CNBC.com slash ProTalks. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades 
by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We're going to begin with D.A. Davidson initiating coverage of Zoom Info Technologies with a buy rating and a $30 price target. It says the company shows some Buffett-esque qualities unique within software, including a competitive moat. All right, Goldman Sachs also upgrading its rating on Semex to buy. It cites better-than-expected price environment as proven by the company's first quarter results, adding a key focus for Semex is regaining profitability. We have one more upgrade for you this morning, this time Citi, raising its rating on Deutsche Bank from neutral to buy. It says Deutsche's first quarter results demonstrated potential for further consensus earnings upgrades. All right, turning now to the big one after the bell today, we're talking about Apple. Ranning out earnings season for big tech, reporting results for its fiscal second quarter after the close today. The results expected to be somewhat muted, with the company already guiding investors to a 5% revenue decline due to decreases in Mac and iPad sales. Our Steve Kovac has the keys to watch. A lot on the line for Apple's report today, and the streets expecting the company to report its second quarter of falling revenue in a row as we see demand fall for consumer electronics. However, analysts do think the iPhone business will be more resilient than Mac and iPad, both of which will likely be down dramatically from the year-ago quarter. This is due to China's reopening, meaning more customers buying Apple products in the country. Even though most are expecting Apple to guide towards another quarter of falling sales, it's the severity of that fall that's going to matter. If it holds steady, say down 5% or so, Apple will be in line with expectations. But more than that, well, watch out. There's your sign even the Apple consumer is tightening their spending more than feared. Meantime, services growth expected to continue its slowdown due in part to falling spending in the App Store and a pullback in advertising. None of this hurting Apple shares, though, rallying with its big tech peers as investors look for safety. They're up nearly 30 percent year to date. Frank. All right. That was our Steve Kovac right there. For more insight into Apple, I'm now joined by Nancy Tangler, CEO and CIO of Laffer Tangler Investments. Nancy, good morning. Always great to see you. Oh, good morning, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So we want to look ahead to this big, big earnings report after the bell today. I know you're looking at some research. There's some estimates out there that Apple's added about 100 million iPhone users over the past 18 months. What kind of what kind of sense does that give you about what we're going to hear after the bell? Well, I think that that number goes to the ecosystem, Frank. So one of the things and I believe that's the real story behind Apple's uh, growth and sustainable growth. The ecosystem, uh, and that is services, has slowed down uh, in recent years. And so now what we expect to see with with the growth, um, not only in users, uh, but demand for additional cloud uh, service and, um, you know, music and and all the the accoutrements, uh, is that we will continue to see that return to double-digit growth. And I think what's really important is that China in the last 12 months uh, has actually grown. The company has gained share in China by 300 basis points. I find that number kind of remarkable, uh, given the tensions that we've seen between the U.S. and China and um, their cra- the crackdown on business in China. So I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. And we'll see what the company says today about guidance in China. So I want to go back to what you were just saying about China. You're saying you've seen estimates where it's gained market share by 300 basis points or basically 3 percent, because we had another guest um, not that long ago saying that uh, Apple has about 10 percent market share in China, 3 percent in India. So let's talk about China and India, two potential growth markets. Which one do you think is more important to Apple? Which one will we hear more about on the call? Well, I think we'll probably hear about China, but increasingly India, you know, they're moving their supply chain or portions of the supply chain to India. Uh, you have a, a growing population. 
they they have historically recycled phones and sold them in um, some of the third world countries. And now I think what you're seeing is that um, as the average sales price goes up around the world, uh, that that India will become uh, more important in terms of marginal growth. And what we'll, what we'll be watching is are are the sales prices going up X US. So the average sales price in the US is about 900 to, to 920 or something uh, dollars. And that that's pretty impressive, um, given that historically in technology, what you've seen is prices come down over time. That has not been the case with Apple. I just got a new 14. And okay. it's kind of remarkable how much you pay for this um, little gadget. Yeah, remarkable is not the word I would use, Nancy. Uh, it's expensive. <laughs> Um, I want to go to, to their PC business. Um, we've seen a big PC slowdown. They've guided that there's going to be, you know, impact from that PC slowdown. How big of a story is that for this report? And also, how big of a story is the dollar? So, so I'm going to answer backwards first. So the dollar to me, no one is talking about it. We've seen a pretty material uh, decline in the dollar versus rest of world currencies. Uh, last year, the dollar put a pulled added a drag on S&P earnings of about 5 to 7%, depending on how you do the math. So I think at the margin, that's going to be able to allow the company some cushion uh, in terms of earnings growth and margins. But in terms of PCs, I think that story is pretty well known. And and all I would say is, you know, that a couple of years back, the iPad was kind of left for dead. And then during COVID, we saw a resurrection. And now, you know, you can't really go to a retail establishment without, um, you know, interacting with an iPad. Uh, So I do think that that they will get that under control and we'll see normal growth uh, return to PCs. But that's not the story. The story is phones and services. All right. Something we certainly have to watch. Nancy Tengler, always great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. Hightower's Stephanie Link lays out a busy trading day ahead and the stocks that are high on her shopping list, including some consumer plates. And CNBC, we are celebrating Asian-American and Pacific Islander heritage throughout the month of May. We're sharing stories of influential AAPI business leaders. As we had the break, here is Ancestry CEO and President Deborah Liu. I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, one of the very few Asians in the state. And I grew up going to football games and eating hot dogs and going to state fairs. And I love that. And yet at at home, I learned a different language. We ate different foods. And marrying those things together, being able to share that with others, that's such an important part of what it means to be an Asian American. And I'm so proud of that. But that's also why I'm part of Ancestry when I joined this company to help people discover, craft, and connect around their family history because we all bring the experiences that we have, our cultures, our history, and make this country as rich as it is because we can bring it all together. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up, six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with shares of PacWest extending their drop, the bank confirming it's in talks with, quote, several potential partners and investors following reports. It is exploring strategic options, including a potential sale. China's tourism rebounding to pre-COVID levels during this year's May Day holiday, the first without COVID rules. Domestic trips during the five-day period topping $274 million, a 19% jump from 2019. Shares of Etsy popping ahead of the open after beating on the top and the bottom lines for the first quarter. Etsy also reporting better-than-expected figures for active sellers and buyers on the platform. Hollywood studios have reportedly begun stopping payments to some producers 
as the industry deals with the ongoing writer strike. According to Bloomberg, writer producers under contracts will no longer get full pay and will still have to perform their other roles for the studios. France's antitrust agency is giving Meta two months to change its access criteria for ad verification partners. The agency saying Meta's invitation-only approach allowed data access to only the biggest operators and could be considered discriminatory. And Microsoft announcing this morning it is opening up the new AI-powered version of its Bing search engine to all users. The move comes nearly three months after Microsoft debuted a limited version of the browser. All right, let's dive into this very busy trading day ahead with Stephanie Link, Hightower Chief Investment Strategist and a CNBC contributor. Stephanie, always great to see you. Good morning. All right, every day. Great to see you. uh, Great to see you. So every day we ask Wall Street's brightest minds like you, the one word they think will describe the trading day ahead. Stephanie Link, what is your WEX word of the day? Interpretation. (laughs) Because I think all day long we're going to be slicing and dicing what the Fed said yesterday. Was he hawkish? Was he dovish? Is it was it a pause? Uh, and I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of varying different opinions. Yeah, you and I seem to be the only people that felt like it was a little ambiguous. So with that ambig- ambiguity, yeah. I was struggling to get that word. I had my own SAT word for you. Um, with the ambiguity, what does that <laughs> mean? What does that mean for the markets today? Where do you see the action and the money going? Oh, I think we're going to be in this trading range, Frank, because I think, yeah, I think he was less hawkish, right? Um, But we are still going to be very data dependent. They're still focusing on 2% inflation. He didn't waver on that. And I think there were some people thinking that maybe he would. And so I think that it's just going to be this kind of this back and forth. Uh, And that's why I say interpretation is going to be what what, what is the word of the day. Uh, I think if we step back, though, we're in the ninth inning in terms of higher interest rates. That doesn't mean, though, that they're going to all of a sudden start cutting. I think it's going to take some time. And as a result, I think the market just kind of is in this choppy trading range environment. You know, I think it's interesting you said ninth inning because baseball is a sport that's known for going into extra innings. So, as you said, interpretation. (laughs) Um, I want to get to some of your stock picks. You gave us some tech-focused stock picks, but also some consumer-facing names. Why are you buying into consumer-facing names right now? Well, I think the consumer actually is still quite strong. I mean, they have two trillion in savings and we've got a lot uh, in terms of uh, a lot of momentum in jobs and in wages. And I know that the job market and the initial claims will come out later today, later this morning. And uh, I know we're starting to see a gradual creep in initial claims and the jolts numbers were a little disappointing, but it's still a pretty hot market. And even Fed Powell, uh, Fed Chair Powell said that yesterday. So I think the, the, the consumer, there are opportunities. And for example, I, I have no idea why Starbucks was down 9% yesterday when they crushed the quarter. You have a new CEO, very, very conservative uh, historically. And uh, I think there's opportunities to be had. Yeah, some of your picks are TJX, operator of uh, discount fashion stores like TJ Maxx and Marshalls, uh, also P&G, uh-huh. and also G- GE. So when it comes to GE, that's not so much consumer-facing. What gives you confidence in that? Another you know, conglomerate industrial-facing name. Well, it's interesting, Frank, because, yes, it used to be a conglomerate, but they're actually getting much more simple because they had, they just uh, spun out their GE Healthcare, which, by the way, I really like a lot as well. And they're going to spin out in January the power, uh, the, the, the power uh, gen and uh, renewables business. And so I think it becomes more of a aviation pure play. And I think they've done a really good job in terms of that business. That's the gem, right, of the business. Always has been. But it kind of got lost in the shuffle because it was a conglomerate. So it gets more simple. They actually reiterated their guidance for free cash flow. And that's really what the stock trades on. 
All right. Good point. Stephanie Link, we got to leave the conversation there. But you are buying into this market. You're a brave soul. Appreciate you being here. All right. One more quick check <laughs> Thanks, on the Frank. futures right now. We've been watching them all morning after that Fed decision. Uh, early this morning, we saw the S&P take a dip to the downside, taking a bit more of a dip to Dow Jones. Also in the red, the Nasdaq, however, fractionally higher. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.